Cheers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we cover everything racing. So uh, joining me in the studio tonight are Mr. Richard Uden and Mr. Seth Eggert. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing good. All right, so we had the uh, the general series that we cover week week after week. Uh, we're off this weekend for Father's Day. We're to uh, have their participants race over in Le Mans. But, again, like I said, uh, a lot of eyes in Europe were on Le Mans. And the um, the Junior Series in NASCAR, the Xfinity in the trucks, well, they uh, they had a great weekend in the heartland of America at the Iowa Speedway. Now, coming out of both Le Mans and Iowa, we had some disqualifications, some suspensions. Uh, we saw a guy stripped of a win. Um, so I was talking to Seth earlier, and Seth said, we need an expert on disqualifications on this show. I'm like, well, I know exactly who to call. Get Brock Beard on the phone. So uh, Brock Beard is joining us in the studio. Uh, Brock, who runs um, lastcar.info, uh, where, where he will chronicle everybody that finished last in every race you can think of. But Brock, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I really enjoy your insights. So Brock, how are you tonight? Oh, lovely, lovely. Happy to be here. Just getting ready for Sonoma this weekend. We've, we've done a lot of content this week to get ready for that, and uh, this story just kind of landed right in my lap. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get into that a little later. But, uh, Seth, so uh, let's talk about Iowa. There were just a lot of really interesting stories coming out of there, um, particularly when, you know, we talked about NASCAR handing down disqualifications that would strip a driver of the win. And you said back in February – before it happens in Cup, it'll happen in either Trucks or Xfinity. So I'll let you take it from there and tell us what happened in Iowa this weekend. Well, it was Ross Chastain's race to lose. He dominated the race. He won the first two stages. He won the race, and he won it somewhat handily by just over five and a half seconds. And about an hour and a half after the race ended, uh, News started trickling out that his truck failed post-race inspection. Uh, the front ride heights were not just low, but they were extremely low. And uh, they stripped him of the win. The win went to the second-place finisher, Brett Moffitt, who passed inspection. Uh, Moffitt did not lead a lap, mind you. Uh, he's the second driver in NASCAR history to be credited with the victory without leading a lap, joining Lee Petty from 1953 at Martinsville Speedway because of a scoring error that day. But uh, Ben Rhodes picks up a stage win that Ross Chastain was stripped of, as does Matt Crafton. And we also had a uh, couple of retaliations 
from Austin Hill and Johnny Sauter uh, late in stage three. Yeah, this uh, was this was very interesting. So I, uh, you it, know, because you, you, you we've seen some retaliations post race and and during the race, but uh, I mean, literally NASCAR parked this guy, didn't they? Well, it goes back to Texas when uh, Austin Hill got loose underneath Johnny Sauter and Sauter ended up wrecking. Sauter punted Hill, so Hill punted Sauter back at Iowa, I, and Sauter ended up backing into the wall. Sauter ran Hill down under caution, wrecked Hill under caution. NASCAR parked Sauter for the remainder of the race, and on Tuesday of this week, NASCAR announced that they were going to suspend Sauter for one race weekend. That's Gateway this weekend. Uh, I believe it's Worldwide Technology Speedway at Gateway is the official name of the track now. Uh, but Sauter is suspended this weekend, but he will still be championship eligible because he had won previously at Dover. And NASCAR is giving him a waiver, although they're also suspending him. Uh, there is present for that. 2015 NASCAR gave Kurt Busch a waiver when he was suspended while he was under investigation for supposedly or allegedly uh, striking his ex-girlfriend at the time, uh, Patricia Driscoll. Yeah, I remember that, but that was something totally off track and also something that Kurt was fully exonerated of, uh, you know, when it turned out, turned out that, that that Patricia Driscoll turned out to be just a little bit nutty or maybe a lot of bit nutty, uh, you know, if you read some of the <laughs> some of her stories about being a CIA assassin and whatnot. But um, now, now, Brock, um, you, you specialize in, you know, last place finishers and suspensions and whatnot. So what's what's the what's the precedent for this? I mean, have we seen anything? Kind of similar to this, you know, I know guys have been stripped of wins in the past, but NASCAR has really shied away from it. So, um, I mean, what do you have in your archives that uh, that can compare to what the, the different events that happened in Iowa? Well, it's very it's a very interesting question because it actually hadn't happened at least in a truck series point race before. But we have seen it both in Cup and Xfinity uh, prior to this. And uh, although that there's uh, several examples from like way back in the sports history, including today happens to be the anniversary of NASCAR's first ever race that was decided by a disqualification uh, when Glenn Dunaway was disqualified for, I believe, legal rear springs. And it cost him the victory of uh, the first race at Charlotte. And uh, he was classified last. Uh, the most recent example, however, actually involved our friend Johnny Sauter uh, on April 16th of 2005 at Texas an Xfinity race there, we had an illegal oversized carburetor there. So it's not, although the rule uh, just got enacted this season, uh, it's something that we've seen, you know, relative in the recent years, but you do have to kind of look a bit further back from, uh, you know, it's surprising to not see it in like the car of tomorrow era or something where you have such identical chassis. It has to go a bit further back to the, uh, the Gen 4. At least for the Bush series, uh, the last time someone was, uh, or, well, now Xfinity series, the last time someone was uh, disqualified was Dale Jarrett at Michigan, uh, and I'm saying race winner. Uh, he Correct, was, yes. He was found to have an uh, oversized carburetor as well. And for the Cup Series, I want to say it was Emmanuel Zervakis as far as race winner is concerned, 1960 for an oversized fuel tank. Yes, I believe that was the case there with uh, with Zervakis. It's a little trickier with the older results. Because something that I was finding, I believe it was Jim Utter was putting a, a tweet out there trying to figure out last time 
that somebody was credited with the win without leading up. And I appreciate you getting the stat out there with uh, Lee Petty on that because I had a hard time finding it. Uh, one one time, one thing that makes it difficult is there's a lot of these older race results, and I think actually we were this. A lot of these uh, older race results. They end up divvying up the laps led to the drivers that weren't disqualified. So if you look at the official results years later, uh, you know, the, the person was disqualified, but it just makes it seem like they were never a contender for the lead when in fact they were. Or they just give one lap to, uh, the driver that inherited the win and take one lap led away from the driver disqualified. It varied track to track. I don't know if the policy varied, uh, from track to track, but it seemed like there are three different policies because there's some that completely eliminated all the laps led from the race itself. Some that credited second place with leading one lap. And then there were some that uh, just uh, didn't include any stats for whatever reason. Correct. And that's, and that's really the, the, the tricky part of all this too, because then on top of all of this, the official results under the current rules doesn't hasn't at least last I checked it hasn't invalidated the 141 laps that Chastain led. So as of now, that's still the record for the most laps led of a last place finisher. Even though this was clearly not the result of a mechanical issue after dominating a race, uh, the previous record was 95 laps led by Greg Biffle in 2008 when it was an actual engine failure. It wasn't anything to do with the disqualification. That's correct. Uh, they are not going to invalidate or take away any of the laps led from Chastain. At least the last I heard that they weren't going to. The one from Lee Petty, that's the only one I've found that there's actually a confirmation as to why he didn't lead any laps. It was, like I said, it was a scoring error. And apparently, like the 1959 Daytona 500, it took a little over two days for them to actually figure out <laughs> who won the race. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. The so Lee Petty was credited with the win after the fact, uh, although Cor- not not correct. credited by with leading a lap. Although uh, according to the scoring that was in that was heard Thomas, in, in, uh, incorrect, right? So he he actually led laps. He just wasn't credited for them. Am I have exactly. I got that right? Exactly. Herb Thomas originally was credited with the victory, uh, leading 127 laps. And Lee Petty essentially appealed or challenged. I'm not sure what the wording was back then, but Lee Petty basically contested the results. And after about a day or two of debate and basically recounting uh, whatever system that they used to count the laps, uh, Lee Petty was determined to be the race winner. However, because they don't know when Lee Petty took the lead from Thomas, they can't determine how many laps he actually led. So therefore, they didn't credit him with leading any laps, but they credit him with the victory. I mean, you, you got to figure something out, right? I mean, you can't, you know, go back and back. We, we, you know, we didn't have the video we had then. We didn't have the electronic timing and scoring. You know, I mean, you know, scoring errors go all the way back to the early days of racing. I mean, there's there, there's a story that floats out there that maybe Ray Haroon didn't actually win um, the first Indy 500, and maybe Ralph Mulford won it due to a scoring error because well, there, was, there was a scoring stand, and they had them all hooked up to wires. And at, at, at one point during the, uh, the middle portion of the race, a car came careening through the pits and knocked the you know, scoring stand over. And they they 
literally had no scoring for like a, uh, several laps. So, but you know, the, then other well, folks claim that there was a backup system and whatnot. And so, but, but we'll never know because you know, the history has been written and rewritten, but it's so long ago we weren't there. Well, speaking of uh, scoring errors, uh, they seem to follow Lee Petty, uh, in a nineteen in a racing I believe in nineteen sixty or it might have been nineteen fifty nine, uh, Richard Petty was originally credited with the victory. The second place finisher Lee Petty had contested the the win, saying that he was actually a lap ahead of his son. And after they recounted, they determined Lee Petty had actually earned that victory, and that would have been Richard's first win had Lee not contested it. So do you think scoring errors follow Lee Petty or Lee Petty was just smart enough to try to contest it every now and again so he can get away with it? <laughs> that, 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 theory, that, that theory holds a little water. So so now, Brock, uh, let's talk about the um, the guy that got parked. OK, and we've how many times have we seen that in um, different series? Yeah, how many times? Parked, parked mid-race for just you know, aggressive driving or retaliation or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Well, you know, it, there, there's we've seen some drivers get parked. Uh, and again, you know, it, to, to answer your question, I, I, one example that comes to mind immediately was in the fall race at Texas in 2008. Uh, there, David Gilliland was parked because he had a scuffle with Juan Pablo Montoya on the back stretch. Actually had a pretty serious accident back there. Um, kind of uh, similar to what we saw with uh, um, uh, Kyle Busch and uh, Ron Hornaday in the truck series years later. Um, but uh, that accident resulted in uh, Gilliland being parked. Then you th- you look back even uh, you look around that same time period with uh, Carl Edwards when he flipped uh, Brad Keselowski into the wall. I mean these are other incidents that uh, that didn't bring uh, didn't actually result in a last place finish. And typically when a driver's parked and it classifies the driver last, it's usually of a situation similar to Joe Rutman at Rockingham in 2004 where he arrived at the track without a pit crew. Uh, something very similar happened to that with Mike Wallace in 2009 at Pocono. Uh, much less was uh, was written about that at the time, but uh, he apparently also didn't have a pit crew presented five years after the Rutman incident and was in, uh, was given that same penalty. So uh, sometimes that's the different thing when you see these reasons listed out. Sometimes being parked can be uh, any number of different reasons, and it can put you in any diff- different spots. Uh, there was a truck race uh, last year, or it might have been a little over a year ago, uh, Mike Seneca was parked. I want to say he finished last oh, in yes. that race. And yep. that was for ignoring multiple NASCAR directives that eventually culminated, in, I think, him crashing into a uh, tow truck as well. That, uh, you know, I wish I wish I was there to see that. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. That because trying to follow that on the leaderboard was very difficult that morning. I uh, was just tuning into that after work, and it was showing him like at the back of the field and losing laps, seemingly at a rate faster than they were completing laps. And I couldn't figure out what was going. I thought it was. I thought you talk about scoring errors. I thought that was a scoring error there. But uh, yeah, apparently somebody came like one of the officials. I guess it was Hoots at the time came over the radio and says, "Go park that guy. He is done." And that was it. Voice of God came down and he was uh, pulled off the track. And he hasn't been back in a NASCAR race or an ARCA race for that matter since. Uh, That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we've we seen a little bit of that even like recently at the Indy 500 with the, where the Lotus car was so slow. And John Lacey was asked to stop his car, I, I believe, you know, during the first yeah. quarter of the race because he couldn't, you know, he was literally 20 miles an hour slower than the rest of the field in that dog of a lotus car and they just asked him to go ahead and uh yeah just call it a day so exactly the, the 107 percent rule i believe it was at the time right, Tried right to yeah. we're gonna f1 and do it so brock is there any precedent to somebody who has kind of run a bit of a race and then have their like entire result disqualified where they're they're all put all the way to last place even though they they maybe didn't finished last or, or or is that just never happened mm, that's a good question you know there's i believe it's 20 let's see 26 or so uh last place finishes in the cup series by disqualification and a number of those uh aren't necessarily people that complete you know won the race or completed the entire distance i'm just uh, looking at the results right here uh actually one thing actually a, a really good example i could give you here you want to talk about uh messing up the results here let's go back to the first coca-cola 600 in 1960 where six drivers were disqualified including the last place runner uh, lenny page who didn't get credited for any laps completed six drivers were disqualified for cutting off the entrance to pit road and uh, they I guess they, either they did it multiple times. They couldn't track what the interval was or anything. And they didn't know how to do a time penalty or anything. And they were just all disqualified. And Paige was the last of that group. So to, to yeah. be fair on that, though, uh, there's actually a book by uh, Deb Williams uh, on Charlotte Moore Speedway, the construction of it and the first uh, Coke 600 or World 600. Apparently. They hadn't actually finished building some parts of pit road and some areas for the pit wall or what's now the pit wall. And some parts of the track were coming up and creating potholes. So they had designated a specific way to enter pit road. And these drivers, at least according to Deb Williams book, cut through the infield to get to pit road. Oh, good. See, I see. I didn't know that. So there you go. Like, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, they, at least they, yeah, because if you just read it, they're all blocking pit road. You wonder why, you know, Seth, that kind of that kind of puts it in perspective. It makes sense. It's like, it's like a detour you can't find. So now, now, Richard, you've been a little quiet. So uh, let's talk about Lamar for a second. And there were some disqualifications at Lamar. 
And uh, now, Brock, I know you um, specialize in American racing. I don't know if you have any stats on last place finishers in European racing or um, any disqualifications in European racing. But, Richard, uh, let's talk about the disqualifications coming after Le Mans. And for the record, uh, Toyota won Le Mans with um, Alonzo. And mm-hmm. um, uh, who was his teammate? Um, oh. Um, Christian Buemi. Christian and the third Justin guy was? Buemi. Sebastian Buemi and uh, Kobayashi, I think. Or Nakajima. One of the Japanese drivers that used to be in Formula mm, 1. I can't remember. No, Ko- Kobayashi was in the, in the other Toyota. It was... Uh... Nakajima. Nakajima. Yeah, it wasn't... Conway was in the other one as well, and uh, Lopez was in the other one. Right, so, so yeah. uh, but let's talk about these anyway, um, yeah. pe- penalties handed down the day after the race. So... Um, yeah, there was a series of penalties uh, handed out. Uh, the, the reason for the penalty was that uh, the car was manufactured by Ford, um, and pretty much that was it. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, Ford, <laughs> Ford pretty much got uh, got the the raw end of the stick there. Uh, in the Le Mans series, they have a, um, a a methodology of balancing the field, or supposedly balancing the field. Um, and, and and some of that uh, is reflected in a change in um, fuel tank capacity uh, and some of the changes that they make to the car post-manufacturing and post-initial testing. So the the feedback from the teams was that they, um, they, they modified their fuel tanks at the track without the capability or without the tools available that they'd had in their race shop, which is obviously the high-end. Uh, high precision measuring devices. Um, one of the cars failed by the equivalent of two shot glasses worth of fuel, which is pretty tight. That's Even pretty tight, yeah. And that's you know. the, what they call the, the BOP rule, the balance yes. of performance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't we see a very similar penalty? I don't know if it was at Le Mans last year or was that another endurance race where we had somebody disqualified during the race for, uh, I believe, the they thing were they take, them taking on the, more fuel than they were supposed to. I think the thing they can get them during the race is for running boost pressures too high. Because I know they check that throughout the race. As the cars come down pit road, they um, they have a sensor on there which broadcasts the information back to uh, the ACO, the, the organizing committee there. So it could have been uh, they got uh, had for uh, you know running too high a boost pressure during the race. That wouldn't be uncommon, but um, I can't remember who it was last year. But unfortunately, it does appear to be something that um, Le Mans do seem to uh, to hand out a little bit too liberally, and it sort of makes a little bit of a, uh, I want to say a mockery of the sport, but it uh, makes it a little bit difficult to follow when you've seen, you know, these guys thrashing it around for uh, 24 hours. Um, you know, driving on the limit, and then they they turn around and penalise them for two shot glasses worth of fuel. Um, you know, you a few, you know, you got to, I guess, a few questions get raised at that point. Thinking, really, is that what we're going to do? I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, but what, that, got, what, what would that have for... given him? One, one more turn, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, because uh, we know we know that uh, race cars are, are really not known for um, wonderful fuel mileage compared to our passenger cars. So, exactly. <laughs> so that little bit was really not. Uh, yeah, it certainly didn't. I mean, it wasn't. You know, I think the other were, yeah. the other Ford that got uh, disqualified was quite a bit of the limit, which is you know, fair enough. Um, but uh, as I say, the second one, which I think was the GTE winning car, I'll probably get that wrong. There's so many different classes now. 
Um, yeah, it was, I think it was the equivalent of two shot glasses, which is like, come on, really, guys? You can do better than that in terms of a disqualification. Very sure. disappointing. I mean, I know, as I say, the rules are there and uh, and what have you, but mm, come on. Now, Seth was bringing up at a point earlier uh, on our pre-show talk about the comparison of Lamar to Indianapolis as the quote-unquote greatest race in the world, or, you know. Um, I, mean, I mean, what are your thoughts? I, I feel like, Richard, you and I said Lamont has lost a little bit of his luster. Um, and my, and, and mind you, so has Indy. I mean, IndyCar is essentially a spec series. We don't have the uh, innovation that we once had. We don't have the innovation that we once had at Le Mans. And we've got, we've got huge gaps between the classes at Le Mans. And the top class has so few competitors that – you know, we could pretty much pencil in the winner before they, they run the race. So uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Which which one is truly the greatest race in the world? Well, if you go down to Bourbon Gray on a Saturday night, that's the greatest race in the world, isn't it? Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, No, I, it's a very difficult question. I would. Jeez. Mm, you, you, I don't think you can really fairly compare them, can you? I think it, it's very difficult to do a, a fair comparison, so I'm going to dodge that question quite politically. Um, okay, so I'll throw it to Seth then. I think something has to be said for Lamar. You know, when you look at what they do and to, you know, generate the car's performance for 24 hours solid, it's it takes some doing at those levels and the drivers as well. You know, the, the level that the drivers are working to um, is, is extraordinary. And, and again, not just the drivers, and, the mechanics. And the, and the length of that, that circuit. Oh, it's, I mean, yeah, that's, a very, that's a very difficult circuit to drive. You know, mind, half, mind you, it's been, it's, minutes, yeah. Yeah, it's been modernized. But, I mean, when you compare Lamont to, say, you know, the Rolex 24, where we're zipping around the oval in the infield road course. I mean, yeah. Lamont is a throwback to, you know, classic European racing that, um, you know, people that are old as Gray and I grew up watching, you know, yeah. tape, tape delayed, mind you. Oh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> so uh, you just wish that, that there was more. You, you really do wish there was more competition at the high level. Uh, you know, between the likes of Audi, uh, you know, bring Audi back, bring Porsche back, bring, you know, Toyota and all these sort of guys back. It, it's sort of like so, so frustrating uh, that they're not, um, you know, not able to compete. But, uh, I mean, uh, you know, yes, sometimes I, it's money, isn't it? You know, well, sometimes I just wonder if you should just scratch that top class, you know, because there, there's some great battles. Oh, LMP, there's some great class. battles yeah, in the in, great, in the yeah. lower classes, you know, LMP2 yeah. and then the GTE and the, uh, you know, I, I, if you just scratch that top class where we only have a couple cars entered and, and let, let the rest of those guys go after that, it would be, you know, it wouldn't be the highest level of technology, but it would be interesting to watch. Yep. Oh, I agree. Uh, I agree 100% there. Uh, it, is a, it is a shame at times that they don't have the... Uh, you know, it's just yeah, it's just some things. Again, it's it's a bit like watching uh, you know uh, some of the IndyCar races or whatever. Sometimes you think they've got this fantastic show, this fantastic tool, but it just sometimes it just like oh, it's so frustrating that it just doesn't quite work out as you'd hope it would. All right, now now uh, Seth, 
I want you to yeah. chime in on this because you're the one that uh, started this thing on our pre-show. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, you uh, you actually took a little offense to the Lamar commentators. Uh, it was more the way they were saying it, too, uh, because the way they were trying to make it out was that Lamont is only as good, A, because of the sheer number of cars that they start, uh, the fact that they get more entries in the Indy 500, which, like we've been talking about, Indy has lost its luster a little bit. Le Mans, like you were just saying, has lost its luster a little bit, although there are things to be optimistic for both series uh, looking forward. IndyCar with uh, possibly McLaren, possibly other teams, possibly a third manufacturer there. Le Mans, they're talking about hyper cars and even the hydrogen powered cars, which would be interesting to say the least. But uh, honestly, if I were to uh, go and say that something's the greatest race in the world, I'd actually have to break it down into the greatest uh, open wheel race, the greatest sports car race and the greatest stock car race. I just can't pick one. Okay, so you're dodging the question as well. So, <laughs> so I mean, I mean, there's no good answer. I mean, Lamar and Indy both have a long, long history, and you can throw the Monaco Grand Prix in there as a race with a long, long history um, that still holds up as a great event uh, this day and age. You can throw the Daytona 500 in there as a race with a not quite as long a history, but but quite a long history, all things considered. Um, that still holds up to this day. Now, now, Brock, do you want to weigh in on this, or, or you want to? Sure, I'll weigh in on it. Why All not? right. Uh, <laughs> you know. All I'm, right. I, You're not going to dodge I, it like these other two knuckleheads. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll dodge it perhaps out of ignorance because I'm I'm not any expert about Le Mans in particular, but. All I can remark about is that even as dying the wool of a NASCAR guy I am and how little I, I do follow the other series, there's something special about the Indy 500 and the people that compete in it. And although they, you know, as it's been said, I mean, they don't have as many entries or anything. It takes a special kind of person to strap into one of those cars and stare down a wall from the end of those long straightaways with no banking to catch you. And go around there at over 200 miles an hour, inches apart, knowing that if you even glance off of anything, you just a little bit of the grass or a little bit of a contact or anything like that, that, you know, it, it could be certain death in some cases. I mean, it's these are absolutely exceptional individuals. And, yes, I mean, there's sport, you know, there's been I'm not saying that Le Mans is is a cakewalk by any means. I mean, there's just as much danger and, and craziness in there. But, you know, at IndyCar, I mean, if, you, if you have open cockpit things, even with, uh, you know, what what's going to be coming down the pike on that and, you know, the speeds involved and how close the competition is and then that prestige in there, in my book, that's the greatest race. But, again, that's that's just from my standpoint. And I'm sure there are plenty of sports car people that would uh, take take issue with that, including the commentators there. Well, certainly, yeah, because each each racing series is different, and each has its ups and its downs, and its positive and its negative. So, but speaking of the Indy 500, now, now, Brock, you've been narrating a series of YouTube videos with uh, uh, with your uh, your filmmaker friend. I, I think his name is NASCAR guy. 
Uh, NASCAR man, yes. NASCAR man. Okay, I apologize. Yeah, so he's NASCAR yeah, he, man. So he's he's grown he, up. <laughs> he, he's more of a superhero. He's NASCAR man, NASCAR man. So, but anyway, you guys did a really fantastic video oh, that, I, that I had a chance to watch, um, focusing on the life of Gordon Smiley. Now, most people, all they know about Gordon Smiley is he died at Indy in 1982 in one of the most horrifying and gruesome wrecks ever captured on live TV. But the little video you did, uh, which I believe was about 15 to 17 minutes long, um, you talked about Gordon Smiley, you know, the man, the family man, the racer trying to make his way in the world, and you, and you never even showed the crash. You alluded to it at the end, but you didn't feel the need to sh- show that uh, you know that horrifying crash footage, but I really enjoyed it, and I want you to speak a little bit about this uh, these series of videos that you've been doing with NASCAR Man, and uh, uh, you know where our listeners can um, can see them and some of the other ones you've done. Certainly, certainly. Uh, you know, first of all, I have to say, um, you know, as to the style of the videos and and not showing the accident and everything, all that goes to uh, to. NASCAR man, I'm I'm just very lucky lucky to be uh, the person he's called on to uh, to narrate the videos. Uh, now, you know, maybe really, I make a little really bit of tweaks to the scripts there, but yeah. Does NASCAR man have a real name, or is he like to be incognito? You know, I you know I I I've disclosed him publicly in my book, so I, I suppose it's a okay. His name's Tom McCords. Did he's uh he's he's excellent with the videos there. I think that's um, um that shouldn't be an issue because I've I've cited that in in, in uh, my book there. So I hope he doesn't mind. But um, uh, well, I mean yeah. his his work is exceptional. It is, it is, and and Tom, you know his you know the the editing that he does on there and 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 the scripts that he produces. I mean he sends the scripts over to me, so that's that's his writing in there. I make tweaks along the way. Um, but, um, you know, that's, yeah, he, he does, he does the legwork on all that there, but, um, yeah, I mean the Gordon Smiley video in particular, that one was really interesting to me because it reminded me so much of JD McDuffie, who I talked about, and you know, the last time I was on here, um, you know, again, a driver that's just known for how their life ended. And when you really look at some more, uh, stories about the person and put that in greater context, you don't even need to show the accident or even, talk that much about it um you know in in the case of uh of smiley's deal here uh you know he just had this determined drive to get up into formula one or get into the upper echelons of open wheel racing and was really ahead of the curve in a lot of ways in terms of trying to market himself and that was uh that was something that made that project uh very attractive to me and and these are again the nascar uh, uh tom has produced these other articles uh, online as well, and uh, you know he's he's done these other videos in the past that have that same uh, angle and and uh, trying to really bring about some of these stories that maybe don't get talked about as much and really giving them their due and and that's what really attracted me of of, of working you know working with him on these projects is is just getting uh, getting those done and uh, I I look forward to uh, to doing more of them uh, with him here I mean there's one that we're still in the process of editing that's coming up um, we don't have a date on that yet I'll leave I'll defer to him to um, bring that up but um, you know if you check out his channel NASCAR Man History on on uh, YouTube or NASCAR Man underscore RR on Twitter he also has again several articles on RacingReference.info that are also excellent uh, there I definitely recommend uh, all your listeners check them out. So now is Tom involved with RacingReference.info because that is honestly one of my favorite websites on the internet. 
I'm not certain his involvement beyond writing the blogs on the website. Um, he has uh, produced uh, several articles through there, um, through the uh, section at the bottom of the page there where uh, viewers, uh, users are able to post on there. I'm not sure how involved he is in the actual production uh, of the site there. But uh, again, very, very knowledgeable, always digging up these old articles. He, he helped, like I said, he helped me out in the production of the book there. Uh, sent over some some videos that he was able to scrounge together that uh, end up being used in the book there. So uh, um, whatever um, material he's able to produce, uh, he's certainly a wealth of information. Yeah, we'll need to get him on the show. You need to tell him how much uh, you enjoy ha- hanging out with us. <laughs> get him on our because I'd love to talk to that guy. You know, certainly, certainly, so. certainly, absolutely. Now yeah. I'm just looking at some of the other videos you've worked with uh, Tom on uh, the Andretti Double, which was Indy and Charlotte, 1994, uh, Indy Cars at Daytona, the most dangerous race, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 1994 Speed Weeks. Uh, Has there been one that stood out more to you that maybe you learned a little bit more uh, about not just the sport, but just uh, the way NASCAR has gone and also Indy Car as well, for that matter, maybe that you didn't know or didn't realize beforehand? That's a good question. You know, I'd have to say that pretty much in every one of the projects that I've worked with him there, there's always something new that, um, that I, that I pick up from it. And, and even, uh, even if it's something like speed weeks, 94, where I remember that so much from my, my own personal experience, um, uh, you know, watching Neil Bonnet on winners on TNN and then, you know, to the point where I just thought he was just a broadcaster. I didn't even know he was a driver, really. Uh, it'd be the equivalent of somebody just watching Fox now and then seeing Daryl Waltrip climb in a car and say, wait a minute, I thought he was just a broadcaster. Um, that, you know, that moment in 94 stood out so much to me. Um, you know, him uh, bringing up, you know, more stories about Neil and, and who he interacted with and, and, and what the challenges were to getting that team uh, out there uh, with Phoenix Racing and, and, and everything. Um, you know, it just it just, you know, kind of made that uh, interesting. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, pretty much everything that he's produced, it does, uh, you know, put a lot of this into into new light. And some like, uh, you know, it, the uh, IndyCar's uh, most dangerous race there at uh, Daytona. That's one I didn't know about at all. And so it becomes a learning experience for me, too. There's one that you didn't narrate that I absolutely loved. I've watched it multiple times over. Uh, this is before the two of you started working together, uh, the tire wars, NASCAR's asphalt battlefield. If anybody uh, has about an hour to go and watch it, I highly recommend it. it. They do touch on J.D. McDuffie on the McCreary tires, but let alone the Hoosier tires as well. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And and that's the thing is that, you know, the the uh, um, the 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 tire wars in there, I, you know, again, I, I go back to my own experience and just just following back that I started following in 91. So I remember the tire wars in 94. What's excellent about that one, I'm sure you'd agree, is is how it puts the tire battle in, in kind of a greater context that you have. It, it wasn't just 94. You you had this ongoing tire situation through, you know, the sports history and uh, the issues in 1988 and, and the other uh, injuries along the way. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's, I would, I would say also, you know, that, uh, it's, it seems like it's a topic that's gaining even more, uh, interest in the subject is there's, there's Tom's video and then there's the channel S1AP produced one just recently as well and kind of went into even more information about 
who was hired uh, to sponsor uh, to run Hoosier Tires too. So it just shows how rich that subject is. There's so much material in there, and it, it's it's very fascinating. I remember when uh, NASCAR asked Goodyear to experiment with the uh, alternate compound at the All-Star Race a couple of years ago. People were uh, worried or complaining that they thought the tires would be so soft they would be reminiscent of the tire war, at least people in the media center here in Charlotte. And hindsight being 2020 for Goodyear and for NASCAR especially – NASCAR didn't give them a lot of time to actually come up with the alternate tire. I I believe from what I heard, it was only about three or four months that they told Goodyear. Meanwhile, Goodyear is making tires already right now for, I believe, uh, the uh, Talladega playoff race. So that's not a lot of time mm-hmm. for Goodyear to catch up or to make a tire that really has that significant of a difference. No, well, that's, that's true. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about Goodyear for a second because there was a story I read the other day that Goodyear is throwing their hat into the ring in the World Endurance Competition. Now, Richard, have you have you heard this at all? Um, I haven't heard it personally, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I'm sure they're eager to get back into uh, you know a more high level racing series where the tires probably pay. A little bit more of performance uh, differential than is in, is in NASCAR. I'm not saying that tires aren't important in NASCAR. It's just they get a pretty bad rap from a lot of the drivers in NASCAR. Oh, cer- certainly they do. Yeah, which is, you know you, you kind they of must uh, think, they must think it's also, where's the damn point in doing this? <laughs> yeah. So, but we've we've seen tire wars, and tire wars is a good subject for us to talk about a little bit. We've seen tire wars in a couple of uh, different series. Uh, you know, we've seen it come to a head. Uh, you know, we've seen Goodyear just about run out of open wheel racing because um, Firestone provided a much, uh, much better product uh, during the nineties, you know, during the cart IRL and and Firestone decided they were just superior and Goodyear kind of bowed out of open wheel racing. We've seen uh, Michelin and was it Michelin and Pirelli in um, Formula One at the same time? Uh, where, no, where we Bridge, saw that. Uh, Bridgestone and which are Firestone and um, Michelin in at the same time in the mid 2000s, yeah. And that's it, where the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix in Indianapolis resulted in all the yep. Michelin tires, all the Michelin tires runners pull, so, pulling um, it yeah. into the pulling into the pits on the uh, pace Correct, lap yeah. and leaving six cars to contest the race, which was yep. a joke, which was a joke. So, uh, Richard, now you've you've worked on race cars in both Formula One and NASCAR and in sports cars a bit. Do you feel like having one solid tire supplier is a better idea than having a couple competing ones in the same Ooh. series? Because it oh, seems like boy. years ago we've always had the competing, you know, tire providers, but yeah. but it seems like it's I, kind of leveled out now. Where you know you've got Pirellis in Formula One, you've got Firestones in Indy, you've got Goodyear in NASCAR, uh, you know, you've got Cooper Tires in their Junior Series. Um, do, do you think that tire wars just take away from the racing, or or would you like to see uh, some more of that? I think they do potentially take away from some of the racing. Um, I, I, if you want to shake up the sport, I think it's a good thing. But I think that, uh, you know, in reality, if you want pure racing, there can be such a differential between 
uh, tire performance that you've probably got to you've probably got to keep that one even. As much as you don't want to, as much as you like the thought of you know teams competing with each other on on the tire level, it's it's just not. As I say, the the level that these things are working to, and the, the level at which the teams um, you know handle the performance of tires these days, it's just to my mind almost not worth it. It creates too many problems. And now, Brock, to you, the 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 argument against tire wars is speed versus safety. You know, we've seen like particularly with the Hoosier tires that they they had a faster tire, but yet maybe not quite as durable. Yes, exactly, and that's and that's the problem you have, of course, is that when you have, uh, I mean, it's a business like anything else. If you have a product out there, like you were mentioning with uh, with the Goodyear issue there, if they if one manufacturer is going to produce something that's faster but maybe a bit more dangerous, you know, these teams want to win. They want to go out there and beat somebody else. So and and they keep talking about this all the time when in issues of driver safety where they say that, uh, you know, they'll say, okay, well, you can drive this safe car or you can drive something that's dangerous, and they'll, they'll just ask which one's faster, and that's the one they're going to go with. And unfortunately, that's what's going to be with the tires there. Um, you know, speed's the name of the game, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes you need to have an outside force to uh, keep everybody sane. I agree. I agree. I, I like the idea of a consistent tire manufacturer across one series and i think you know i think firestone has set the bar really high in the indycar series with being just a a wonderful partner um you know goodyear with nascar they've been a wonderful partner although the the drivers and the team sometimes like to uh kick goodyear (laughs) you know when when things don't go their way you know because everything (laughs) isn't perfect so uh but and i think pirelli's been a pretty good partner to formula one so i yeah they've got over those issues they had a few years ago haven't they they've sort of sorted i remember was it the british grand prix where those like tires were just falling apart that was a little bit embarrassing a little bit yeah uh, yeah as you say they've they've sort of got over those little uh little issues and uh, no they do seem to have a pretty good working relationship now and they can produce a pretty good product i'd still like to see three four pit stop races um you know, but and you, but you don't need competition for that. You know, you need just a, a, a tire compound that um, that works in that uh, level. Interesting, you talk about the three four pit stops. Interesting enough, when I used to, f- when I first started watching Formula One, which was Richard, but probably probably before you were born, Formula One cars <laughs> didn't make a pit stop unless there was a problem with the car. You didn't yeah. have to re- you didn't have to refuel the car. And the the tires were made to last, you know, the 200 miles that uh, that a that a race was. I mean, mind you, they were beat to heck at the end of the day. But it, it seems to me that that pit stops add drama to the race. Yeah, but but now that the tire compounds are so much softer, that they're designed to not last the full race. But they, I mean, I remember Nelson Piquet winning at Long Beach in I believe 1980. One or eighty-two, uh, simply because he, he chose. A, I know you don't. Simply because he chose the the hardest compound um, tire that Goodyear had at the time, and was able to nurse those tires for for the entire race and and never look back. So, yeah, I think if you've got a tire that you know, you you have that like the the cliff, the edge that they talk about. You know, the sudden drop off in performance. Um, you know, I think that can be, re- you know, 
and how the teams manage that. But again, you want the situation where the drivers are pushing 100% all the time. So then you have to have this very abrupt cliff where the, you know, the, the driver's job is, is to sort of manage them but still push. You know, you know the tyre is going to fall off after 25 laps. So you can push for 22 laps. You know, you don't want him to try and do eke 30 laps out of them because that just gets boring, really, when they're not you know, when they're not pushing. These guys are the best in the world, so let them show that. And I don't think you see that in Formula 1 at the moment. I think you see them nursing the cars because of the, the way the tyres work. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, again, racing is a forever-changing playing field. And, and to Seth's point about what they may be introducing in Le Mans or in sports car race a couple of years with uh, new technologies and, and alternative fuels and whatnot. I mean, it's all exciting. It's all exciting. So, But uh, we're, we're at about, oh, 15 minutes left in the show. So let's talk about next week a little bit because we've got, we've got a full slate of racing next week. We've got the uh, French Grand Prix. We've got the IndyCars are at Road America. And then the NASCAR uh, Cup Series are going to run at Sonoma, their first road course of the year. And the trucks are going to be at Gateway. So, um, which race are you most excited about seeing there, Brock? Oh, absolutely. The one in uh, Sonoma. I mean, all those are going to be excellent. But uh, that one, I'm going to be there uh, first person there covering for Last Card on Info, watching with uh, added interest who finishes last in the race, as well as uh, who's going to be competing out here. Uh, home, home field advantage on that. So uh, look forward to some more coverage uh, from myself at LastCar.info and also the Twitter at LastCar on Brock. All right. So now, Brock, we usually try to pick winners for the race. But since you are, you know, basically made a career of, of talking about last place finishers, who's your prediction for finishing last at Sonoma? Ooh, you know, that is a surprisingly difficult thing to uh, predict. There's, uh, I know, yeah. Road courses have, <laughs> yeah, it really has been. The road courses have been uh, highly unusual uh, in terms of their last place runners. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm going to say it's probably going to be somebody on a big team just to make uh, just to make things kind of unusual. I've had some people tell me that maybe it'll be Clint Boyer because uh, we saw him have problems a few years ago. And even though he's with a better team, he usually does well here. Uh, maybe it'll be him. Just a gut feeling. Just a gut feeling. Now, Seth, um, you're you're you're, our, you're my NASCAR man to go to. So uh, let's talk about Sonoma. Sonoma is one of my favorite tracks. I remember the first time I saw the Cup cars at Sonoma. It was in the early '90s, and I was just flipping channels, and I'm like, "What is this? Stock cars on a road course?" Because <laughs> uh, I, I didn't, you know, I was a big Formula One, IndyCar, sports car guy. I, I really didn't start following NASCAR till a few years later, and and I, I, it was one of their first or second races at Sonoma, and I was just drawn in. I'm like, wow, this is amazing! These big bulky cars, um, you know, kind of popping and banging, and then Mark Martin flipped his car over upside down. It was the old Folgers Ford. And uh, Mark hopped out of his car, got some of his pit crew guys to run over, asked them to (laughs) – they pushed the car back over. He jumped back in the car and got in the race, and I'm like, my gosh, this is fun. This is fun to watch. And then I became a Mark Martin fan for life. Um, So I've always liked the uh, NASCARs on on the – on the road course, so uh, so Seth, let's talk about Sonoma. Who do you, who do you like? Uh, who do you think's gonna uh, re- really bring it, or 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 is there anybody out there that's gonna surprise us? 
Well, to be honest, it's the first race since 1997 that they're running the carousel version of the course. They're not running the uh, short shoot. So that's going to be interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's nice. Oh, yes. It's coming back. Oh, Uh, that's going to be good. The only driver in the field, to my knowledge, that has run the carousel course is Kurt Busch back when he ran the Southwest Tour years and years ago. Uh, otherwise, I don't think anyone in the field has run the carousel course. Uh, that being said, the driver who has the, at least last year, who had the best average finish on all three road courses, including the Roval, was Chase Elliott. So I'm going to go with Chase Elliott on this one. That's all a good right. Pick. That, that, that is a good pick, yeah. Now, Brock, I made you pick the last place finisher so uh i will be kind and let you pick a winner <laughs> well let me tell you this it sounds for me it's gonna end up being two last place finishers every time i pick the winner they tend to finish at the back <laughs> so <laughs> you know uh, i mean i gotta say i was kind of thinking chase elliott myself but um you know uh i i'm kind of thinking maybe penske gets their uh, their stuff back together we get uh, joey logano up there logano has always seemed to be uh, a factor in this one and to my knowledge i don't believe he's won it yet so maybe he's due and if not he'll be Last like he was at Watkins Glen last year. Okay, there you go. Now, Richard. Yep. Who who do you like for um, the Cup cars at Sonoma? Oh, let's think. Who can we have at Sonoma? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, they're always they're they're sometimes as much as a lottery as um, you know the uh, the super speedways out there. But let's go for uh, Kyle Busch. Okay, well that's a pretty safe pick because he I know. Like, can win anywhere. Yeah, I so. Know. Uh, gosh, now, no, now it's my turn. Darn it. Um, <laughs> um, I think the Petsky str- cars have been pretty strong, so I'll, I'll go with Brad here. I, now, Seth, has Brad ever won a road course race? I don't believe he has in Cup. I know he has won the He, he, he won, the, won the Glen race. in Xfinity, so yeah, so. Yeah, let's, let's go with Brad, just, you know, just because I like my Polish heritage, you know. <laughs> Santorossi, Keselowski, <laughs> Brad and I get along well. So, because uh, like I say, it's a crapshoot picking the um, picking the road course race. So now is is Xfinity also uh, Xfinity uh, at, at Sonoma? They have the Canaan West running at Sonoma with uh, several Cup drivers in the field: Ryan Priest, Austin Dillon, Daniel Hemrick. Uh, you also have Xfinity drivers Noah Gregson and Cole Custer in the field. And a hot shoe named Haley Deegan in the field. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, Haley Deegan is a friend of the show. She was on here a couple weeks ago. So she's going to be in the field at uh, Sonoma. So we wish her well. Um, And now she had a a bit of a controversial uh, win recently. Seth, uh, talk to us about that one. Well, it came down to the final laps. And this was where? This was where? Uh... I believe this was at Colorado National Speedway. Okay, it's right. an oval. Uh, it came down to the final laps in overtime. Uh, her, she and her teammate Derek uh, Krause had started side by side, and she left the door open going into turn one. To be quite honest, he forced her his way in beneath her, shoved her up the track along with two other cars, and took the lead. 
coming to take the white flag. He left the door open. She stuck her nose in there. He went around and backed into the wall. Uh, the two Jefferson Pitts cars behind them spun, and Haley went on to win the race. People have been saying it was a dirty move. People have been saying it was a clean move because she got hit first. To be fair, their Krause was driving with a broken sway bar the entire race. So if Haley had hit him harder, he would have easily gone around. But he may have easily gone around with just a simple nudge because of the broken sway bar if he got hit the right way. So I don't know if she <laughs> wasn't said able to if get he got hit the right way. <laughs> that, yeah, I I, I'm sorry, that's just I funny. Now, Richard, that. Richard, you've worked your whole career in racing. Is there a right way to hit somebody? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Confirm, like, Seth. You Seth, you're good. You're good. <laughs> like you don't punch a driver when he's still wearing his helmet. Formula One, Richard. We're going to uh, France. France, yep. Paul Ricard. Yeah, uh, preview that race for us a little bit. What do you think? Well, it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's this big, open, vast nothingness of tarmac, really, that they've decided to spray paint a track into the middle of. Um, well, it could be potentially be an entertaining race. I think it'll be good to, uh, you know, good to get back out there and, and um, you know, go back for a second time. The teams will have a bit more experience out there. And, you know, hopefully the Ferraris can, can sort of continue their mini revival that they had in... Uh, um, in Canada there, but uh, and, until um, until uh, Vettel decided to uh, you know get that penalty, which I believe is an appeal against that penalty sometime this week, or a, I, don't, I don't think appeal is the correct word, is it? It's, I, I thought I read an article that they said they dropped the appeal. They've dropped the appeal, but they're asking for it to be reviewed. Okay, so it's which... legal mumbo jumbo. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah so, <laughs> so do, do, do you think the Ferraris are going to perform well? Because they, they, they were they were spot on in Canada until yeah, the mistake. Yeah. Paul Ricard is, is a pretty similar circuit to uh, to Canada. You know, lots, a couple of really long straights, three really long straights there, and some high speed corners. Maybe not quite so brake intensive as uh, as as um, as Montreal, but uh, it it has similar characteristics so hopefully it'll be a good race out there and uh, you know somebody can take it to Mercedes and who are you picking to win Bottas okay. he needs to pick it up he needs to pick it up he needs uh, to yeah because going to walk away you know, with this yeah. you saw in uh, you saw in Montreal a couple of drivers really poor, performed quite poorly compared to them, the teammates Bottas was one and Gasly was another I mean Gasly outqualified Verstappen for one of the first times and uh was almost a minute behind him in the race, by the end of the race. So that was pretty poor by Gasly. He's got to start, I think. I know it's early in the season, and it's his first year with Red Bull, but kid's got to, uh, he's got to step it up a little bit, otherwise some questions are going to be asked about him, I think. Uh, do you think Gasly survives this season? Um, do you think they're going to keep him in the car? You know, Kvyat's not doing too bad in the no, Kvyat's doing pretty well. Albon, I think, is a year out. I think... I think Albon being a year out is a thing that could potentially save Gasly. Uh, you've also asked the question, would they be brave enough to go and put Kvyat back in after everything that went on last time? You know, that would be, I mean, if he does, that guy's got photographs of somebody somewhere. Uh, because <laughs> how, how he can survive that and maintain that, I will never know. But fair play to the guy. 
All right. So, uh, so Seth, uh, you got you got a pick for uh, Grand Prix of France? Vettel. Okay, Brock. Oh, oh my gosh! You're asking me. Oh my goodness! Just, just throw out a name of a Formula One driver. Uh, Heinz Harold Frenson. Okay, know. all right. He probably won't win. Okay. So again, once again, you guys have left me with Hamilton to pick. I, I swear, I'm like, you know, ninety percent of picking Formula One races is winner because none of you pick Hamilton. Y'all leave me with him. So well, Hamilton's whenever I pick him, so. he wrecks. Pick him then, pick him to say, pick him. Jeez. Jeez, yeah, why don't you pick him every week, Seth? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so IndyCars are at Road America. Road America, one of the most beautiful race courses in the United States. Uh, Interesting turns, high-speed straights, beautiful, beautiful road course. Uh, Richard, who do you like for Road America and the IndyCars? Sato. Good pick, good pick. Seth, who do you like? Paginot. All right. Brock? Uh, Newgarden. Okay. So you left me with Rossi, who uh, has been on a tear this year. And Rossi has been the bridesmaid week after week after week, finishing behind a Penske car. So uh, I think Rossi is going to take this one home. So, um, guys, we are out of time. I want to thank you, Brock, for coming on the show. I want to thank you, Richard and Seth. I want to thank all you folks that tune in and listen every week. I want to thank Hoobazoo Radio Network, and I want to thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker, and we will talk to you folks in one week's time. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.